Hey Timberwood Youth, Aiden here. For your pleasure, I have a dramatized reading of a real event from my life. <clears throat> it was seven or so years ago. The Christmas lights were lit. The tree stood in the same designated corner as it always had. Decorations collected over the span of many years hung. The tree gave off the scent of pine we all love and yet sends our allergies ablaze. Presents sat at the base of the tree, tempting me each and every day. I craved to shred the wrapping paper apart to find what treasures lay between me and them flimsy wrappings. There was not a day gone by when I did not find myself staring at the tree, my gaze fixed upon every present with my name inscribed on them. It was torture not knowing what it lay before me for a month, so of course I noticed it. The package. The package with no special wrappings and no specific unique quality other than the sticker itself which read to the Goshak family. This present wasn't here before. It became a curious thing to me. My family had not taken much notice of it save for my older brother. It was around the same time the remote controller to our TV went missing. Two weeks of painstakingly having to stand up and walk over to the TV to hit the buttons on the side to change the channel. That responsibility fell to me. I had the misfortune of being born the middle child, a gift and a curse at the same time. In my family, responsibilities of the mundane, such as changing the channel by hand, went to me rather than my younger sibling, the innocent baby of the family. Until the remote controller was found, it was my displeasure to be the one to change the channel at the behest of my parents and elder siblings. Then Christmas finally came. <clears throat> then Christmas finally came. The gift of the mysterious origin was handed out to my parents to open for the family. Inside it, you guessed it, the remote control. Along with the remote was the initials CG and a smiley face. See, CG stood for Caleb Goshak, or my older brother. In that very moment, the last two weeks of being designated the human remote, self-designated due to self-pity, came back to me. I was enraged, I was upset, and most of all, I called for justice while my parents laughed at my brother's clever antics. I wanted justice where none could be found. Now, I hope you enjoy that because it was a true story. My brother was kind of a butt. However, the part I want us to hang on to is that sense of justice. If there has ever been a point in your life where you crave justice for something because an injustice has been done, then I think you're at a good spot to follow along with me tonight. If you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, it starts as this. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of Jews? And he answered, You have said so. 
And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Right there, in that section, Pilate was amazed. And why he was amazed, it is my belief that Pilate, one thing we know about him, was the governor of the Roman province of Judea, otherwise known as Israel. See, Pilate was the one who had the right to say who died and who lived. He had the right to say, if you break a law, your life is over. And so the Jews brought Jesus before Pilate so that they could have the right to crucify him and to see him die. Moving forward with that in mind, imagine Pilate. Imagine being Pilate. Many, many days go by, and it's the same thing over and over. You decide who lives, who dies. And I think part of that for Pilate is he's seen a lot of people beg for their lives. He's seen a lot of people try to, well, in this case, he probably was expecting Jesus to say that he wasn't the king of Jews, that these were just lies and slanders that the Jews have thrown at him so that they could kill him. And instead we see Jesus stand his ground and say, I am who you say I am. As it moves on. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So the insurrection right now that this is referring to is that there's a small group of zealots who always sought to murder and to kill the Roman government and officials. They despised that Rome had their hands into what Israel was doing. And this Barabbas, or as we know him, Jesus, Barabbas, he was a murderer. And every year on this feast, they were allowed to release one people. And as we read and continue, the crowd came up. This is in verse 8. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they should all the more and continue to shout, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The text continues. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace where the governor's headquarters were located and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed Jesus in purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns they put on him and they began to salute him. Hail King of Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out 
to crucify him. This is an intense scene. You have this man named Jesus who is is completely sane in when he says that he is the Christ. He is the king of Jews. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. And here you have a group of Jews who are so blind that they call themselves leaders and teachers of the law, and yet they don't get the picture. We've seen this time and time again in our text that we've been wrestling with in Mark. We see time and time again that Jesus comes forward, he interacts with those that call themselves the leaders, the teachers of the law. And every time Jesus interacts with them, they seek a way to deceive Jesus or to point out that Jesus has flaws or to say or renounce him as an authority figure altogether. And Jesus constantly comes back with them with love. Now, what I mean by that is Jesus doesn't accept everything that these Pharisees teach. He just wants them to understand better what they are doing. And so he constantly talks to them and tears apart their logic, their reasoning, and their wicked ways in hopes that they would actually turn about and change who they are. Pull a full 180. And we've gotten to the point in this text where these Jews remained blind, where these teachers remained blind. And in their blindness, they captured Jesus. They used one of his closest friends to deceive Jesus, to They use one of Jesus' closest friends to betray Jesus. Let that sink in. These are men who claim to have great morals. These are men who claim to be the leader figures of this culture. They claim to have the moral standard, the good heart that should be replicated in every single person that they come in contact with. And in all of their interactions, in all of what they sought to accomplish, in their hearts was only wickedness. In their hearts was only deception. In their hearts was only greed and envy. Something even Pontius Pilate in this text recognized. And when Jesus came before Pontius and said, You say so. I am who you say I am. Pontius is blown away. And realizes that he's dealing with something real here. Now that first story that I shared about that sense of justice. That first story I shared about that sense of, well, of this inequality, right? of me not getting justice because my brother hid the remote and not in good fun. There was no damage for me to experience. There was no emotional scarring. I had a great family and I love my brother. What had happened is I was just so angry and upset at a false sense of justice, at a false sense of, of pushing blame and making sure that I don't take the fall, that clearly I'm right, that he's wrong, 
that even my parents delighting in my brother's actions, actions of a child, angered me. And so for me, it's easy to put myself into the seat of these leaders, of these teachers of the law. It's easy for me to understand how my concept of justice could become so skewed that a person's concept of justice can become so skewed that they completely go against all of their morality for the sake of pride and envy. That for me is the threat. That for me is the challenge of what we're trying to accomplish in reading and understanding this text. And so as we move forward, we see that Jesus is then mocked. And so the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in purple cloak. Now, a purple cloak is supposed to symbolize authority and power. A purple cloak is supposed to symbolize that you are truly a king. They've even gone so far as to weave together a crown for Jesus to wear, and this crown was made of thorns. And they didn't just twist it together and put it on his head. They would have twisted it together, put it on his head, and beat it into his head. And this cloak, they would have stripped him and put this purple cloak around him. And they were dancing around him in mockery, saying, Praise this king, praise this man. I can't help but wonder how easy it is for us to follow the crowds. To follow standards that are exemplified for us of our friends of our family of our well any group that you're in and to not judge the goodness or the heart behind something but to just step into it thinking well they're doing it why shouldn't I see I like to think that every human being who has a relationship with Jesus is pushing themselves and challenging themselves for the good. And I think this stands to be true. I also believe there are times when those people do everything they can to be good and they still find themselves stuck following the letter of the world. Following the example of those who are corrupt. Just in small choices even sometimes. For example... Let's just say that you're taking a test, right? And during your test, you realize, okay, I didn't study. I didn't read my book. And at the end of your test, it says, did you read the book that this test is based on? And you answer, yes, I did. Because you don't want to lose a point. It's just one point. It wouldn't have harmed anybody. But it's also just one point. So why be honest? Other examples come to mind for me of that same exact philosophy. Just letting one little evil into our lives. Letting one little thing go by because it's so small that who's going to notice? And I think that's where the leaders and these philosophers and teachers of the law got corrupt. Because it was one little thing after another after another. Now, the hope in this message, mind you, is that you have a man like Pontius Pilate, who is a Roman governor, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, who 
most likely didn't have a relationship with God and he stands before Jesus and he recognizes that as Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke with truth. And something in Pontius stirred in his heart. And we'll talk about this more later or next week when Chris teaches. Something stirred in Pontius's heart where even he as an unbeliever was able to be captivated by the truth that God set forward for him to see. And so Pontius, being captivated by this truth, sat there in awe of Jesus' response. And those parts that I'm talking about, just going along with the crowd, we see Pontius do that still. And that's where in this story my heart breaks. Is if I relate even to Pontius then, let's take that perspective. That you're a man uh, or woman of moral standards. That it is your job to judge who is right, who is wrong in any given situation. And before you stood another man being judged by you. And they tell the truth and say, this is exactly who I am. And they leave no defense, no, no sense of other direction in their conversation with you. That they truly are God as Pontius is talking to Jesus. And Pontius starts to understand this, right? And yet he still gives Jesus over to be mocked and to be crucified. And why? Because he feared the crowd. See, Pontius even gave an opportunity to the crowd to have Jesus Barabbas saying, here's a man who committed murder, here's a man who is guilty of everything that he is charged with. Who would you rather have set free? This Jesus of Nazareth, who to Pontius really didn't seem to have committed any crime. Or Jesus Barabbas, a man known to be a murderer. Pontius is testing them. And the leaders of the lie, even given this opportunity, the Pharisees given an opportunity to still turn and say, no, release Jesus in this moment, chose Jesus Barabbas. They would rather see a man, a murderer, be let go than admit that they have been wrong this whole time. And I can't help but wonder, going from the perspective of the Pharisees again, if they had a concept in their mind that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. And that's something I wrestle with is they've seen and heard of all the miracles that Jesus performed. They had an understanding walking amongst the people in the crowds that this Jesus could really be legitimate. And instead of approaching Jesus with genuine heart to understand who he was, they decided to go against him because he posed as a threat to the culture that they set up that they wanted to experience. So yeah, I think that this story gives us a lot, excuse me, that this account gives us a lot to wrestle with. Whether you choose to take it from the perspective of Pontius and wrestle with what it would it be like to be in the position of judgment and to try to make good judgment 
and what morals is Pontius working with, what standards is he working with, to put yourself again in the perspective of the Pharisees and looking at your own lives, analyzing your own lives and seeing where do you allow sin to get in the way of your understanding of who Jesus is? Where do you allow pride and envy to come into the picture and steal from you a moment of kindness? Or putting yourself into perspective of Jesus, how certain are you in who you are? How certain are you in your relationship? Or put yourself into the perspective of just the reader, trying to comprehend everything that's happening in these simple 20 verses. I think there's a challenge here that's posed to us to take this text and to wrestle with it from every angle that we can. And tonight, I give you a few. Let's go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to share my heart, for the ability to connect with these students, and to just be present with them. In your name I pray, amen.